Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Something that's true for you, that's also true for me. I know this is true for you. These are two things that you want badly, okay, in your life. Because I, I, I trust that you would voice this at times. On this side, you would say, I really want deep, authentic, true community. I want that. I want somebody who can cry with me and laugh with me. That, that if, I, like, if I got evicted today, they would, I could call them and be like, I got to move. And they'd be like, I'm there. And they would be helping you move. That, which is the sign of a true friend, by the way. Okay? Somebody who helps you move. That list is short, typically, in a person's life. Okay? We want that. We want that kind of authentic, true community that you can lean on. And on the other side, there's this other thing that you and I both want, and that is, man, I want my space. <laughs> I just want my, my own boundaries. I don't want to have to tell you junk. I don't want to have to deal with you telling me what you think that my life should be like. I want a, a recliner that you won't talk to me while I'm in. I want... Let me go one step further. I want like this sunny, deserted island with unlimited data on my phone, and that's it. And you guys, I can, you can visit when I tell you you can visit, okay? And I want both of these things, and so do you at different times. And the difficulty, and Randy hit this yesterday. I mean, this truly is winter retreat session five. If you weren't there this weekend, it's okay. This will still make sense to you. But if you were there, Randy gave the practical side of what I'm talking about tonight. And that is this. Those two things are truly mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. Our lives weave in between those two things for sure. And there's nothing wrong with boundaries and you don't have to be around people all the time. But what I'm trying to get at here is you cannot live in a space of authentic community where there is vulnerability. Other people have voice in your life and you have voice in their life and you feel connected rhythms of life with them. And I want my own space and my own time, and I want to be the pilot of this, and I am living an individualistic life. You want that? That's fine. You get that. But you don't get that. You have. Well, you know what? Randy said it at the retreat, that you always sound smarter when you quote C.S. Lewis. So let's go to C.S. Lewis, shall we? Lewis said it this way, which is much better than I could say it. To love at all is to be vulnerable. You love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. You want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. That is this path he's talking about right there. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You hear that? Vulnerability, this space where what Josh just did, I bear my soul to you. You understand what's going on inside of me. I understand what's going on inside of you. To do that is love. And to experience love, we have to be vulnerable with each other. Now, let me, let me jump back for just a second, jump out of, of this. The past few weeks, what we have been talking about is the Christian life. Because I get questions all the time. It's like, okay, God, help me understand what it means to follow God. Help me understand this experience of church. Help me understand I, I want to grow deeper. I wanna, I'm not just here to show up. I, I want to know what it means to know God. 
what are the answers to that question? Well, the first week we talked about how that's a little bit difficult because it's mysterious and organic and beautiful. It's, it is not just a cookie-cutter equation of, well, read your Bible five minutes a day and pray five minutes a day and serve the poor, and you got it. No, it's, it's deeper and more beautiful and mysterious, like a marriage. And so we talked the first week about how if your life is a tree, second week we got to that grace is the roots and the trunk. The love of Jesus is what feeds the entire Christian life. And there are a lot of 50, 60, 70-year-old Christians, you guys, who walk around who don't understand that. They live out of a sense of guilt or obligation or something. You guys, the Bible teaches that our motive in the Christian life is grace. It is the love of Christ. That's why his gospel is the good news. That's who he is. And out of that trunk grow some different branches. They all look a little bit different. So again, it's not cookie cutter. It's going to look a little different for you than it does for me. But these four branches that grow out of grace, where grace takes us, one of them is truth. We talked about that, that God's God's ways are higher than our ways. And so grace will pull me into following God's ways. It really is about obedience. But, But you guys, if that's the Christian life, it gets weird and super ugly because then you're just... It's just a contract. You just, you're rent, you're, you're, he's your landlord. He's your boss, and you're just the employee or the renter. No, that's why the second week we talked about voice. You're in, in, in an intimate relationship with him. He calls you his spouse, his lover. He calls you his friend. He calls you his son and his daughter in Scripture. That's the intimacy and the language of a God who wants to be close to you and connected with you. It's, it's intimate and precious that he loves you like that. So grace draws us towards God's truth, and grace draws us toward God's voice, knowing his voice and understanding him as our Father. And this, this third one, what we're landing in tonight, is that grace draws us into authentic community. In other words, it doesn't leave me alone. Faith is not a me thing. And sometimes we talk about it that way. My personal relationship with God, right? Uh, no. Faith isn't just a me thing. It's, it's a we thing. Faith is an us thing. We together are actually the bride of Christ, not just you individually. My identity in Christ leans on you. It's connected to you. I can't disconnect it even if I want to. So let's talk about that a little bit. In the Old Testament, if you were to read through the Old Testament, and, you know, if you're going through the, like, read the Bible in a year program, I got to tell you, Exodus and Leviticus, Leviticus specifically starts to get pretty tedious, where you're like, oh, that's where most people, I think, are like, I'm out. I'm done. Okay, when uh, Moses goes on the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments, that happens in Exodus 20 from God. That's just not 20 com- or 10 commandments that he gets in Exodus 20. He gets 613 commandments that are spelled out throughout different places in Leviticus. I mean, it's uh, different parts of the Old Testament. You know, if you're reading in there about the different encampments and the ways that the tabernacle is supposed to be built and all of the dif- different festivals and holidays, and it's like, oh when do I get to the New Testament? Is when you're sitting there leafing through it and being like, okay, I got only six more months and then I'll get there to the New Testament. Let me tell you something beautiful about the Old Testament. When you stand back and, and you're not just reading those laws individually, but when you start look at, to look at what God was doing, he was trying to help them understand. This was a people who did not know how to live together and they didn't know him. And so he was trying to give them rules on, this is what great community looks like for you. 
And some of it was hygiene stuff, like this is the stuff I want you to eat, and this is the stuff that I don't want you to eat, and this is how many steps you should go outside of your camp to go to the bathroom. Seriously, that tedious of detail that God was, because they didn't understand microbiology and some of this. Like, don't eat, li- don't eat blood that comes straight out of a live animal. God's telling them that stuff way before microbiology would catch up. He's like, you need to know this. I don't want you hurting for no particular reason or diseased for no particular reason. So in the midst of that, though, I'm fascinated by all of the different living stuff that he said. As a community, I want you to celebrate these holidays together. I want you to throw these kinds of parties together, these kinds of festivals together. So there was this common identity that they had where they were like, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, truly, when I read about some of the cultural things they do together. We are bad at holidays. Christmas, we all do together. I mean, it's like, Christian or non-Christian, our whole commu- like everybody pretty much, not everybody, but almost everybody in some form takes time off and spends time with family. I mean, there's a cultural version of Chris- Christmas, and then like, you know, there's, for Jesus people, we understand it a little bit differently. But Fourth of July, it's like everybody's shooting off fireworks somewhere, okay? Whether you really care about Fourth of July or not, we all sort of stop what we're doing and we celebrate it. Those were built into their rhythms in ways that are hard for us to understand, where everybody was doing the same thing. Everybody was pausing every week to rest. Every, like there's even, maybe you've heard of the year of Jubilee. That's this crazy one where God said, hey, every 50 years, all property goes back to its original owner. Process that for just a second. Every, there's no generational poverty. There couldn't be. Because every 50 years was this reset button. If you bought a building, a house, in year 49 before the year of Jubilee, you were only going to pay 150th of the price because you were only going to have it for a little bit of time. Then it was going back to its original owner. Bizarre. But again, God stepped in and he's like, I don't want to see generational poverty existing in my people. You know what? We don't have evidence that the Jews followed that command even once. (laughs) by the way, that they did that even once. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I look at all of those things and I think how beautiful to see this community connected by all these traditions and other things. Well, is that different in the New Testament? It is a little different. In the New Testament, we don't see that. I mean, the, the Jewish people were not just like a religious tradition together. They were racially also together. I mean, when you, when you talk about the, the Jewish people, you're not just talking about a religion, you're also talking about a race of people, the Hebrew people who became Israel, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Well, that changes in the New Testament because Paul tells us there's not, there's not Jew or Greek anymore or slave or free or, or male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus, Paul says. But take a look, even in the very first moment that we have in, uh, in Acts 2 where the, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and we see them gathered together. And it has this picture in Acts 2, starting in verse 42, that says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Now, there are a million sermons sitting in that text. I just want to give you this picture of togetherness. 
togetherness. They were meeting like this in, in larger groups. They were meeting in tiny groups in each other's homes. They were having meals together, breaking bread together. They were seeing, as they were getting to know people, they're like, man, that guy can't pay his rent. I got extra money. I can pay his rent this month. So they were pooling their resources and being like, how do we meet the needs of the community? And it was thriving, and it was alive, and it was vibrant, and it was Holy Spirit-filled. And it's not a shocker then that people were looking at that and saying, I want to be a part of that. Every day, people were being saved. Every day, people were looking at that kind of community and saying, that's good news. I want to be a part of that. You guys, I'm okay with being critical with the organized church. Some of you have been burnt by it. I have too, all right? We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But I want you to understand something. I think that as we step back and look at what church is, we might need to rethink some of the labels that we have walking around in our head. Togetherness matters for people of faith, and grace draws us to community, to other people of God who can carry our burdens like Josh was talking about. That's why the Hebrews author says, and I think this is super applicable post-COVID, where a lot of people are like, you know what? I do church from home. I can put my pajamas on, listen to a sermon, and check that box. That's pretty cool, right? Hebrews author says, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more encourage each other as you see the day approaching. You need each other, he says. You don't just need a sermon video. Like, that's not what church is supposed to be about. You need each other. You need authentic community. Your faith is a we thing. It's an us thing. It is not just a me thing. It has never been just about that. So let's talk about that word church for just a second. There's this moment where Jesus uses the word. He's in a, he's in a conversation with Peter. Sometimes when we do baptisms, you'll hear us use that, the phrase, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? We often use that exact phrase, okay? And the reason why it comes from this passage is because when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Peter responds with, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. It's not the real translation. But he says some, basically says that. You nailed it, Peter. That's it. And he follows it with this. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, meaning that confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What did Jesus mean? I will build my church? Because each one of you has a different picture of what the word church means in your head right now. Right? Sometimes we talk about the church like it's a building. Like I I drove by the church today. You'd be like, oh, you're talking about the church as a building. Sometimes we talk about the church like it's what? An organization. My church hired a new youth pastor. You know, and I'm I'm not talking about the building now, right? Building can't hire a new youth pastor. Oh, we're talking about the organization. I went to church Sunday morning. Well, he didn't say the church, so he's probably talking about the church service now. Sunday morning service. You guys, that's weird, it's, I, uh, let me, I wrote down a sentence. See if you understand it. I think you will. Um, my church is going to build a new church so we can have church. Is a real sentence, and that, the word church means three different things there, and you all know what they mean intuitively by where they sit in the sentence. Do you know how weird that is? Church, 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 church. And you're all like, oh, what, what's he talking about? What's the definition there? So how was Jesus using this? What was he talking about in this? The Greek word there is ekklesia that he uses. And I have this as an example right now. 
to help you understand what it means, okay? Yeah. I know, I know, how many, football season's over, you guys. It's done as of yesterday. How many days till pitchers and catchers report? Not <laughs> too many. Okay. So here's what I want you to understand, uh, Cards fans. I, I don't, I love you guys. There's nothing against you in this, okay? Um, the word ecclesia to a Greek, as he would have heard this word the way that Jesus used it, wasn't religious at all. It wasn't a religious word. It didn't have any religious overtones. It means a gathering of like-minded people, people who have been called out of their homes for a particular reason. So if there's like a military parade going by in your town and you're like, oh, I was a part of the military, I want to celebrate the military, and you leave your house to go watch or become part of that parade, you have become part of that ecclesia. That's a gathering that was called out for a specific purpose. Okay? And so it's super interesting. When Joe and I will go to Cubs games, like sometimes we'll go up there and stay in a hotel and, and hop on the L, and you're seeing people from everywhere. Even on the way up, you know, if you're driving up the day of, you'll stop at a gas station, and everybody getting gas in Joliet is wearing Cubs. It's like they're in their gear, okay? And when you show up to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, and you're in an ocean of blue that's there, and I walk in wearing my colors, I am in an ecclesia. If you're going to a cards game and you get dressed in your red gear and you walk in in the sea of red, you are in your ecclesia. It's a group of people who have all have a common purpose there together. You understand? And so when Jesus uses this word, he's not talking about the brick-and-mortar building that you spent Sundays in. He's not talking about this gathering here tonight. He's talking about his people. My ecclesia, he says. My people, my called-out ones. I will build my church in other words, if you're a Jesus person here tonight, he's talking about you. He's not talking about a church or an organization or a Sunday morning worship service. He's talking about his called out ones, his people, the ones who wear his grace, his robe of righteousness, his ecclesia, he says. And by the way, what's he say about that? The gates of hell themselves will not stand up against my called out ones, my people, my people who were called by my name. Man, that's so beautiful. Let me give you an example of that. I, uh, Joe and I went one time to the St. Louis Zoo, amazing zoo, and uh, they have, I think it's for the sea lions, they have this exhibit where you kind of walk under and the sea lions are swimming around you. Is, that, is it sea lions, if I remember right? And our kids were fascinated by this, and so we spent some extra time there, and we were kind of hanging out there, and the kids were wowed by it. Uh, Levi's probably like six, I don't know, it was a long time ago, okay? And they kept coming up and, you know, like staring at our kids in the eyes, and then they'd swim away, and then they'd come back. And there was this, this older guy who was sitting there. I'm, I'm 100% sure he was just a volunteer. He didn't work for the zoo, but he had a little zoo badge, and his job was just to interact with us, right? And make a, you know, to, 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 it's like a Walmart greeter for the zoo. And so he, um, except way friendlier, way friendlier. So he starts talking to me. Um, and just asking me questions about our family and ask me what I do for a living. And so I tell him that I work, I work with college students. I said, I'm basically a pastor of, a, of, of like a campus church that's made up entirely of college students. And uh, so he started asking me questions about that. And you guys, he, as soon as he found out what Joe and I did, he was like, you, you could just tell he was a Jesus person. And he said, oh, 
It brings my heart so much joy to know what you guys are doing with the college campus. And he talked about your age and how much he loved people your age and how his heart broke for them and how much they needed the gospel of grace. And he started using words that are like, oh, we do know what each other is talking about. And you guys, I had found part of the ecclesia in an exhibit at the St. Louis Zoo. God's church scattered all over the world. And me and that guy, we were talking the exact same language about you, part of the ecclesia. Who knew I'd run into him at the sea lions exhibit or wherever else? So I know from your perspective, when you look out across things, you see so much. You, see, and you, you look around town and you're like, oh, there's Eastview and Vail and Karis and Compass and College Park and Grace Church and Calvary Baptist and Jacobs Well. Or you look around campus and you're like, oh, there's Crew and Encounter and Salt Co. and Campus Outreach and Merge and Agape and the Newman Center or Wittenberg Lutheran. Or you keep filling in the blanks. I think there's like 126 churches in Bloomington Normal. Okay, I think. I, that, the last time I Googled it, it was around that number, which means there's 126 different buildings, there's 126 different mission statements, means there's 126 different services, means there's a bunch of staff. You guys, how many churches are in Bloomington Normal? One. That's the way Jesus sees it. One, his church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, Every person who goes to church is not a Christian, my friends. Not throwing stones, that's just the way it is. But every person who follows Jesus is a part of his global church, and so are you. And the reason why I'm spending so much time on this tonight is because our criticisms of the church, I think what we're criticizing is actually organized religion. It is not actually the church, because the church, the bride of Christ, is you, and it is me. And it would sting a little bit differently if we realized we were criticizing ourselves. It would be like, the church should do things different. Yeah, so what are you going to do about that, church? If you are, here and you are here as a follower of Jesus and you are waging those complaints and you're like, the church should be more vulnerable, the church should be authentic. Yeah, it should be, church. <laughs> yes, it should be, church. Yes, it should be, church. So who do you bring to your table? Who do you let into your sin cycles? Who do you share authentic community with? How are you vulnerable, church, called out ones? the ones who've been saved and rescued by the blood of Jesus himself. That's who you are. And when you begin to realize that, that I am the church, that I have been bought by Jesus, that it is not just a me thing, it is a we thing because I share that title with you, suddenly this whole thing of authentic community begins to change because I realize it's not somebody else's job to do that for me. I cannot provide you with authentic community. I can't. I want to. We set up small groups. We create all kinds of appetizers. You've heard me talk about those, right? We create appetizer moments for you, hoping desperately that you will take on to that and make it something more yourself and make it beautiful and real and authentic and vulnerable. There's no way I can hand that to you. I, I can't spoon feed that to you. You guys, we as a ministry have hurt people We've done this well. I, I truly think that. We've done this well, but not well enough. There are people on this campus who need the love of Jesus, who are in your proximity, church, who need your authentic vulnerability. You need it from each other. You need these kind of deep friendships with each other. And we've done it. I hear great and beautiful things happen, but we haven't done it enough. 
Grace pulls us into this real thing with each other. I'm not going to be super practical tonight, you guys, because, man, Randy was plenty practical yesterday on this topic, okay? And if you weren't at the retreat, even if you were, go back and listen to Sunday morning because he laid out these are the kind of friendships you want. These are the kind of friendships you look for. This is how you chase authentic community in this. If you... Again, I'm not going to camp there tonight because he's already done it. And if you weren't there, go listen to session number four this week when we put them out. Suddenly, as we begin to lean into this value, we have lost all sense of time. Where am I at right now? Okay, great. Um, Sorry, my own own little OCD, ADHD moment. Um, Suddenly, you begin to realize where there are so many one another passages in the Bible. So, I think there's 59 in the New Testament that talk about how we treat one another, how we understand each other, how we carry one, another, one another's burdens, as Josh mentioned before. Let me just th- show you three of those really quickly tonight. And maybe as homework, you can go dig some more up. The first one is this. Oh, wait, no, that isn't the first one. That's another verse that I'm going to skip over for now. First one is this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with, I want you to focus on that word, one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's Colossians 3. That word bearing with literally means to make allowances for each other. Again, what an amazing study this would be, the one another verses in the New Testament. What does that mean to make an allowance for you? If uh, I'm going on a hike with my kids, you guys, I make allowances for them. I don't walk at the same pace that I would walk myself. I take more rest breaks than I would normally. I, I sit longer at places. When they start complaining about things, I, you know, we sit and we'll talk about those. I can't go on the same pace that I want to go. I make allowance for them because they're not as strong and because they're whatever. They can't go as long without going to the bathroom, all right? Definitely on a road trip, I make allowances for the number of bathroom stops that have to happen along the way. And I would go crazy if I didn't. Of course I do. I make allowances for them. When we love one another and we bear with one another, we make allowances for each other. We don't move through life at the same efficiency. I make allowance for you. One more. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is directly related to what Josh was talking about. That word just means to carry or to pick up. There are times where your pack is too heavy and maybe I need to unload a few things out of your pack and put it in mine. And sometimes when I've sprained my ankle and a few things need to come out of my pack and go into yours, that's what it looks like to share life with one another. One more. I already said that. But therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That word confess means to say the same thing or to agree. In other words, I lay out my sin to you and you agree with it. We both agree that that is not the way that life is supposed to go for either one of us. We've agreed together in that. Randy said it yesterday. He said, you can get forgiveness alone. You don't need other people for forgiveness. You can get a a forgiveness straight from God in your prayer closet if you want to, but you will only find true healing with God and his people when you say those things out loud to other people. Wise, trusted voices. Not everybody. You shouldn't be walking to everybody, pouring every every dark sin that you've ever got out there, but to a few wise, trusted voices in your life. Confession. And the list just goes on, you guys. It just goes on. We need to be living in a one-another life. To quote Andy Stanley, we need to get better at one-anothering one another. We really do. 
And culturally, we don't know how to do this well. So we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to swim upstream and figure it out. But step number one is that choice to say, am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I willing to be vulnerable or am I just going to carry this stuff on my own? This isn't just the job of a few people. That verse I skipped over is 1 Peter 2.9. And it says that you are a holy people, royal priesthood, chosen people. It means that it's not just my job, because I'm a paid minister, to minister. It means that your ministers, Ecclesia, Church of God, people who have been called out by His name, God's given that responsibility to you as well, to do that with each other. So in some churches, oftentimes, it's like in an unhealthy model, the only people who can go visit sick people in the hospital or the only people that can give people who are struggling in their marriage advice are the paid staff. You guys, that is <laughs> it's ridiculous. You are the called out ones, the people of God. I'm happy to help, but if I'm the only one doing that work or 10% of the people are the only one doing that work in a given church, that will never work. God didn't design it to be that way. Do you see yourself as that, as a part of authentic healing community? Grace, grace draws you to that, my friends. And like I said earlier, we need to do better. Our heroes in Scripture were not self-dependent. You know, I wrote some of these down. You don't have a Moses without a Jethro, his father-in-law. You don't have Joshua without the coaching of Moses. You don't have David without a Jonathan. You don't have Timothy without Paul. You don't have Paul without Barnabas. You don't have Peter, James, or John without the deep personal investment from Jesus. Their lives were all intertwined and overlapped. Even the ones who seemed like they were the heroes, you guys. Even the ones that seemed like they were the heroes. We need each other desperately. We need each other desperately. (sighs) Joe and I were a part of a small group one time. And one of the wives, we'd met with that group for a couple of years, one of the wives called Joe and just opened up about her marriage, which was almost at the point of divorce. You guys, this was the absolute first that any of us had heard about this. And so Joe is just talking to her and trying to counsel her and said, hey, why? I mean, we've been meeting together weekly for the last two years. Why wouldn't you bring that up at our small group? And I, this is a long time ago, but I will never forget her response. And she said, I would never bring that up there. Never. That's not a group I would trust enough to carry this. And when Joe got off the phone, I was like, then what are we doing together? <laughs> like, what is the point of us going once a week to this thing where we can all pretend to be okay? Just to what? Study the Bible together so we can know a little bit more about Scripture? What in the world are we doing? Pretending? If you want to live your own individualistic world where you seal your love up safe, motionless, airless in its own casket, you can do that. But it will become the very thing that you fear the most. Impenetrable alone in your own space. Grace beckons us to authentic community, my friends. It beckons us to redefine what the church is. It beckons us to redefine the way that we think about all of our life, that it's committed to the Lord. Whatever job that you are studying to get ready to do, that you are ministers getting ready to be released, which we'll talk more about next week. But authentic community is a part of that. 
I beg you to make that choice, that first choice that Josh made to be vulnerable with your sin with a few trusted people that you can draw into your inner circle. And that fear that you have that keeps you from that, that one of, oh, they're going to judge me or they're going to hate me or they're not going to want to hang out with me. If, first of all, if that's true, then goodbye to that friendship, okay? My experience is it's very rarely that. What is met with in that moment is, oh, me too, actually. I struggle too. And vulnerability begets vulnerability, where that other person now has permission to actually talk about what's going on in their life. Unbelievable how God does this. I want to, uh, I want to finish this talk with something very, very different. Um, a song, actually, by a guy named Christian Stanfill. Uh, and... He is a worship leader, songwriter. Uh, he has written a ton of stuff that is absolutely beautiful. And he's a busy dude, okay? So he's leading worship all over the world, different conferences and stuff, flying back and forth here and there. He is an important person, all right, an, an important artist. And he's got a name that a lot of people recognize. And so he got to this point, though, where there was just this bankrupt feeling in him, feeling like he was living out of a vacuum in his life got addicted to alcohol, fell into a bit of a depression, and yet he's flying around the world leading praise songs to Jesus. And he's like, I just, I, I, I got further and further into this place of hypocrisy where I was living in this space where there was one thing happening in my inner world and one thing that I was showing to everybody else until finally it just, I couldn't hide it anymore. My wife knew that stuff was wrong. My friends knew that stuff was wrong. And I finally made a decision to let it all come pouring out. He's, this is in 2020. He stopped doing everything. Called off all the conferences that I'm not doing. I'm not writing music. I'm not doing anything anymore took a complete step back from that and just poured his heart out to the people that were close to him. I, uh, I snagged a little social media clip that he uh, released in November of uh, 2022, just, just three months ago. And he says this, I'm two years sober today. Been pretty quiet about this part of my life on social media, but I wanted to share today for a couple of reasons. First, somebody needs to know that you're not alone. I read somewhere that when we struggle in silence, we suffer alone. Owning our brokenness and being honest about our humanity helps us heal and helps others heal too. Sobriety is a we. I've taken every step of this journey with people, my wife, close friends, pastors, counselors. It takes a village. Community and connection is where we experience the power of grace and begin to heal. If you're addicted and hurting, the first step for, toward change is reaching out to someone and asking for help. We can't do this alone. And so out of that experience, he wrote an album. I think it's called Make It Out Alive. Uh, and I think I left on the top there, if you want to check out and like an hour-long podcast where he talks about that, it's brilliant. He and his wife and a couple of their mentors talk about that journey together. But the album that he wrote is just a raw cry from the soul about how much he needed other people around him. And so I wanted to give you his words tonight because I think they handle it better than mine would. So we're going to do that. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.